Welcome today to Dr. Paul McCarthy. Dr. Hello, Jane. Paul, ready to take some calls Certainly. later on in the program. And Danny Carrington. Good afternoon. How are you, Jane? Lovely I'm to do the show well. with you again. Great to be with you too. <laughs> Welcome I'm back. Forward to hearing all about what you've got in store for us. Today on Pet Chat, we're going to be taking a look at some of the things that you might like to do with your kids because it is school holidays. And, uh, well, a good place to start, Danny Carrington, might well be with Daisy. That's right. Thank you, Jane. Look, uh, if you're like me, you've got two kids, five-year-olds, you're pulling your hair out during the school holidays (laughs) because they're not being outsourced. (laughs) You've got them. (laughs) Um, You think, what can we do? Well, I just thought, let's run through a number of pet-related, animal-related things that families can do with their kids over the school holidays. Um, So we'll run uh, through a number of them, but at the moment we've got Daisy from Hunter Valley Zoo that we're going to talk to and talk about what we can expect if we visit Hunter Valley Zoo during the school holidays. Hello, Daisy. Hello, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for doing this interview. Uh, Look, I'm sure all our parent listeners are listening in carefully to find out how they can take up their time during the school holidays and visit you guys and other animal-related pet parks. But first of all, can you tell us where Hunter Valley Zoo is located? Yeah, sure. So we are in Nolkaba, which is just outside of Cessnock. So it's in between Cessnock and the vineyard. It's only about 45 minutes from Newcastle. Fantastic. Okay, so something for the kids at the Hunter Valley Zoo and something for the adults with the vineyards. Yeah, that's <laughs> Works right. quite well. <laughs> um, so what kind of uh, animals or pets do you have at the zoo? What can people expect to see? Yeah, so we have a large variety of animals out at the zoo, um, ranging from about 11 different species of monkey. We've got lions, meerkats. Um, koalas, kangaroos, the list goes on. We've got heaps of different animals, which will keep you entertained for hours. Uh, Dr. Paul and I were actually just talking because he's been and seen the meerkats. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty... The experience, Daisy. It was terrific. <laughs> yes, it is one of the most popular things at the zoo, sitting with the meerkats. Because they're such fun creatures, aren't they? They are full of energy. You just don't even believe it until you see it. They just are non-stop all day. So, in regards... Like kids. <laughs> like kids, that's it. Um, in regards to the, the animals you have there, so do you also have educational talks that are held daily or special talks uh, during the school holidays? We certainly do. So, we've got um, talks ranging every about half an hour on different animals. So, first one is at 10 o'clock, which is the wombat. Uh, one of the most popular ones at 11 o'clock, the lion. Uh, meerkat talk, obviously, a monkey talk. There's heaps for all different animals. You can go along to every half an hour. You don't have to if you don't want to, but yeah. they're great and the um, keepers teach you all about their animals. So, And they usually last for about 20 minutes, half an hour? Yeah, about 15, 20 minutes. That's right, yep. So that, it's really educational for the kids, so that's wonderful to see. Yes, it is. Yeah, we like to make sure everybody understands why we have um, animals in captivity and about our individual animals as well because all of the keepers know um, the difference between all of their animals, which is pretty unique. So uh, do you also get a chance to get up close and personal with some of the animals? You certainly do. We've got three interactive yards that you can go into any time of the day, which is the kangaroos, uh, the rainbow lorikeets, which is a crowd favourite, and the farmyard animals. Now, they can be a little bit boisterous, but if you game, they are very fun as well. Oh, what farmyard animals do you have? 
Uh, we've got some deer, sheep and goats in the farmyard at the moment and yep. they love, you can purchase bags of feed for the animals um, and they absolutely demolish them. They love them. Fantastic. The sheep are very bold, Daisy. I took my niece there and, and yeah, the, <laughs> it was more, I don't know who was running faster, my niece or the yeah, sheep. <laughs> you definitely need to be prepared to go in there. You can't go in there unaware of what's going to happen. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about the lions you have? I mean, that's really spectacular. Yeah, so we have four lions. Unfortunately, one of our main lions passed away um, just the other day, which was pretty heartbreaking. Oh. Um, but we still have some lions out on display. So we have two white lions, a brother and a sister. Uh, they're four years old, or nearly five, actually. Yep. And then we have two female tawny lions, which is the normal brown color lions. Yeah. Um, and they're out on display all day as well. Wow. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. That's great information. And if anyone wants to know more, just get online and Google Hunter Valley Zoo. So thank you so much, Daisy. That's okay. Thank you so much. Hope to see you all during the holidays. Yeah. And we will be, thank you, Daisy, we will be taking a look at lots of other things you can do with your kids that are animal-related. Pet Chat and Danny Carrington, what are some of the things that we can do with kitties that are animal-related sure. in the school holidays? And, you know, there's an excellent website, Newey with Kids, I imagine run by Newcastle City Council, that goes through all these different activities. Excellent. So it's great. And, like, it comes up and it's even got the activities for animals separate. How great's that? So one of the ones that obviously we all know about is Black Butt Reserve. So there's it's 182 hectares of land, lots of parks, free barbecues and areas you can have uh, a meal, a lunch, uh, but also animals like your koalas and emus and wallabies and peacocks and ducks Wonderful and so forth. Wonderful displays there. So lovely nat- nat- nature display there. And uh, native animals as well. Native animals. Mm-hmm. Hunter Wetlands in Shortland, just mm-hmm. close by to us here at the university. That's another great place and you can also go canoeing you can go walking around the estate so wonderful native animals there as well um we mentioned hunter valley zoo and we had a talk about that the irukanji shark and ray encounters in port stevens now that's something different i think that's worthwhile going and having a look at um ocean different ocean life and sharks and stingrays and interacting with all of them yeah, there's like up to interacting what mm. do you mean <laughs> oh you get in the pool with them oh do you yeah yeah <laughs> It's really quite amazing because they just sort of swim around your feet. It's it's quite yeah. I really encourage that one. It's a great experience. And it's not like just a couple. There's like 190 sharks and rays. Wow. In, in their tanks. So yeah, like that's a great one to and do. They're all well fed, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, Oakvale Wildlife Park as well um, at Saltash. That's an oldie but a goodie. It's been there a long time, run by a family, and uh, lots of farmyard uh, animals there to see. And um, one other one is the Australian Reptile Park on the Central Coast. Ah, yes. If you're into reptiles, snakes, lizards and frogs and so forth. And they've still got a crocodile, haven't they? They do. Mm -hmm. They do. So, look, uh, definitely that that can fill in two weeks easily. Easy, easy, easy. (laughs) So then what do you do? When for those of us who've got an extra weekend or an extra day or two, um, so well then you have to try and make do something that's non-pet related, maybe, or go and buy a pet. <laughs> well, of course, if you've got a pet, you can take it for a walk on a daily basis. That'll um, definitely bond you together. Training, 
do some training, do uh, teach your pet some tricks. Yeah, something a bit different to just sit and stay. Yes. Yes. So all very good. Okay, and uh, that keeps you occupied for your uh, school holidays. Definitely. This is Pet Chat, and uh, Dr. Paul is here, and he's also going to be talking to us about. Dog baiting. Yeah, sadly there's been some more incidents of dog baiting in our local area. So just giving people a heads up of what to look for and what signs to expect. Pet chat and Dr. Paul, dog baiting. So is there a bit of that around at the moment? Yeah, disappointingly we've had some um, reports both locally and also on the central coast where um, dogs have been ingesting things in the park and then coming down with seizures and convulsions. So just to sort of a bit of a chat about what baitings generally occurring so the most common baits that are used are um, 1080 1080 which is often used for wild dogs but is also used obviously sadly in parks as well Um, and the two other common ones are rat baits and snail baits okay and they're not good for animals pets disappointingly uh, no so um, 1080 is a, a drug that actually it gets absorbed within often 30 minutes so it's a very fast acting fast acting poison mm-hmm. and um, if if ingested and um, not seen to sadly can be a, a fatal poisoning mm. there's no antidote for 1080 so there isn't anything you can give to reverse the drug directly um, the only thing you can try and do is get the drug out by causing vomiting and then trying to support the dog through any of the signs it may be showing. So in the case of muscle tremors or seizures, you use medication to to prevent those. Um, Sometimes they will actually affect the way they can breathe, so ventilators and respirators are used. It's it's a very dangerous drug and and sadly causes death very quickly. And presumably the sooner you can get the dog to vomit, uh, the better. Absolutely correct. And so that's why one of the big things we're advising owners at the moment is to try and and probably avoid any of the off-lead dog parks um, in that if your dog's on lead you've got far better ability to stop your dog from scavenging. 1080 has to be hidden in something because it's not a particularly tasty poison but sadly rat sack and snail baits are very tasty. They're, they're, They're put into carbohydrate sources or cereals to try and make obviously rats and snails eat them um, and dogs find them particularly um, edible. So um, if you're on a lead, then that way you're obviously able to sort of prevent scavenging as easily as if, if they are off lead. And snail baits presumably are used in gardens fairly readily, are they? Disappointingly, we see snail bait poisoning in our local practice quite readily. It, yeah. It's an often um, overlooked thing in that often we sort of think we've hidden it in the garden very well, but a dog's sense of smell is much better than ours, and so we do find it. Snail bait um, tends to cause different signs. So, so snail bait will generally cause muscle tremors like 1080 does but often goes on to produce vomiting and other signs as well gastrointestinal signs again if you can get the the poison out as quickly as you can so getting your dog to the vet asap we can give an injection into the vein that will make the dog instantly vomit Um, snail bait again there's no antidote for that it is again supporting the system while the body tries to remove that and often in those circumstances if we can't get the poison out with the initial injection we have to anaesthetize them and flush the poison out of the stomach. It's called gastric lavage and um, often it's required if dogs are showing signs. Um, sometimes people will try and get their dogs to vomit at home um, and that's certainly something that if they do we should try that they're welcome to. Um, often easier done by a vet. Yeah, and I was a, going to say, how do you do that? Yeah, so people often try and use, use you know, the, the, um, a hand in the throat, try and trigger the epiglottis to cause the vomiting. Um, soap powders can often make dogs vomit as well. 
Certainly don't make your dog vomit if they've already started to seizure or tremor Mm -hmm. in that um, the risk of that is that you can actually inhale the vomit rather than have the vomit be brought out and then you end up with a secondary pneumonia which is often more dangerous than the poison itself. Um, The rat sacs though fortunately do have an antidote. So once you do have a a dog diagnosed with a rat intoxication, vitamin K is what is being removed by the toxin. So if you replace the vitamin K, then you'll stop the bleeding disorders that are brought on by by the the rat poisons. Mm, So rat poison causes bleeding as opposed generally as opposed to vomiting and... That's correct. It's, it's common signs, often, often a bruising. So you might see bruising around the mouth in particular. Um, often blood in the urine or blood in the feces can be another common sign. And the other weird sign often is um, coughing in that if you get blood in your lungs, obviously, you cough. So one of the common findings we often see is that the owners may notice the cough first. And the signs can take up to a week after ingestion. So it can take a a while for that to necessarily show signs. So be vigilant. If your dog has eaten something in the park you're not sure about, either get them to vomit as quickly as they can or monitor for those signs. On to a new RFM. It is pet chat time. And if you've got a question, a pet behaving badly or or not looking quite on colour, then you can give us a call if you'd like Dr Paul's opinion. 49216216 to get your question through to him. Now, Paul, we've got these uh, these dog baitings happening. Is it mm. happening fairly frequently in public places? Yeah, so the, the two most co- the two parks that have been indicated recently is one at Raymond Terrace. There's been a park, sadly, that has had snail baits um, found at that park. Um, and there's two on the Central Coast that have sadly had 1080 um, has been involved in those poisonings. So it is it is not an uncommon thing we see at the start of spring. We're not quite sure what brings that out, but we, we do tend to see baitings more commonly in the warmer weather. Um, and disappointingly, these do seem to be malicious. These, these are not sort of accidental poisonings. They do obviously seem to be that they've been placed by someone for that to occur. Um, I believe even the one at Raymond Terrace, they put a sign up saying that you know you know we we're here to kill your dog so oh really yeah so be very careful yeah. um, often a good thing to just look at community boards for those we had a caller previously um, ask how you find out about those and often community notice boards your local radio station will often have indications as to where there's been some reports but um, certainly be vigilant. It is a very disappointing thing. Um, fortunately, the dogs that have been affected recently have all survived. They've all been taken to their vet and received required attention. A couple needed hospitalisation for a few days, but there were good outcomes in all those scenarios, predominantly because the owners acted so quickly, recognised that there was a problem and got their dogs seen too quickly. So the signs, again, that we're looking for on our dog, it's mainly dogs, is it? Yeah, so, so cats tend to be a little bit better in recognising poisons. Um, we do obviously see them affected by poisons, but dogs are far more likely to put something in their mouth and eat it quicker. <laughs> Very quickly. Yeah, yeah. So it is predominantly dogs. But the, the, I guess the, the most common thing to look for in most of our poisons are muscle tremors. So that's a very common finding for both 1080 and for snail bait. The muscles will just move, and it's more than just a shake. It's actually an uncontrolled tremor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can progress right through to seizure disorders. So, so they're often very to easy be, to see. Likely to be in the paws or you, they'll start. Parts. They'll start in the legs generally first. Um, the forehead can do it as well. And often one of the very simple first signs is they often blink really quickly. 
Um, again, there's that sort of nerve, nerve tremors occurring. So as I said, 1080s absorb very, very quickly. Um, and so the signs will occur often very quickly after ingestion. So that's the time you're watching your dog. If in the first hour, say, of ingesting something, you see any of the, any sort of tremors, uh, even vomiting, um, have your dog seen to as soon as you can. As we spoke, the quicker you get the poison out, the better the outcome will be. Mm. I mean, even a dog on a, on a lead will often get correct. something before yeah. you notice. Yeah, correct. We had some cases in last week of dogs who sadly had a macadamia tree in their backyard um, and the two dogs had eaten an enormous amount of macadamias. Now, we think of those guys as very easy nuts and we enjoy those quite quite readily, but sadly in dogs, macadamia toxicity causes seizures and neurological disease. So fortunately, these two dogs were brought in. Um, I think we fill up a good plate of, of, of half-digested macadamias. Um, but because, again, these dogs were seen quickly, we didn't see the signs related to macadamia toxicity and both dogs are doing very well. Yeah. Another common finding for poisonings too, that people often forget, uh, human foods are gra- uh, grapes and raisins. Don't feed those to your dog either. Um, there's actually a, a fungus on the skin of those that we tolerate quite well, but dogs don't um, and sadly can cause the kidneys to fail. So uh, a simple thing to avoid, grapes and raisins as well. So the fungus on the on the skin of the grapes um, potentially provides good wine. <laughs> I'm sure it probably is and, and we and we tolerate it quite well, but but um, dogs don't dogs do quite don't. so well. Yeah. 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 And, uh, well, you don't feed them wine either, I suppose. Well, you? no, no, that would certainly be an advisable thing not to do. Yes. Um, I do remember when I was working in livestock practice, um, we, we used to help goats with bloat by giving them beer because the beer and the ginger beer in particular would help break down the surfactant in the stomach. So you'd often help goats by, by feeding them beer. So don't give it to your dogs, of course, but yeah. <laughs> so ginger beer not good for dogs either? Well, I, I don't think ginger beer is probably any, any real danger for dogs. But, yeah, um, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> so al- alcohol and dogs probably aren't a good combination. And this is Pet Chat at uh, 13 to 1. We're taking your calls on 49216216. Bernice rang in as well on that number. And Bernice, you've got a question about your elderly dog. You're from Anna Bay and you'd like to ask Paul that. Yes. Yes, go for it, the yeah. question. Okay, okay. Um, I've got a dog who is 15 in December. He's a staffy cross. Mm-hmm. But um, in the last month or so, he's, all his paws have swollen to twice the size. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to be losing weight and coughing a lot. Okay. So certainly the first thing I would think about with those three combinations of signs, Bernice, is a disease of the heart. So when the the heart can't beat effectively, it causes what we call edema, which is fluid swelling in extremities. And so you often get um, edema of the feet. Similarly, if you have a, a long airline flight, your feet swell. Um, edema related to heart disease is very common in dogs and will cause all four feet to swell. Um, the second thing that heart disease will do is cause muscle wasting, and, and that can certainly be a reason for why there may be some weight loss there as well. And if the lungs develop fluid in them due to pulmonary congestion of uh, associated with heart disease, you can get a cough as well. So I, I think the three of those symptoms would 
would be a, a, a suspicion that there is cardiac disease there or heart disease, and I would strongly suggest having a chat to your local vet about that. There can be other reasons for swollen feet, particularly in spring. We often see allergies in staphies, and staphies um, can present with allergic skin disease with um, swollen feet, but that wouldn't quite sadly fit with the weight loss and your cough as well. So um, this would be a situation where I would certainly talk to your local vet. There are medications you can use for edema. They're called diuretics. Um, they try and help the body pass fluid rather than store it in the extremities, and that can often ease a cough as well. And there are medications we can also use to make the heart beat better. Okay. Yeah, certainly yeah, I've had to have your dog seen. I'm going to have to face at 15. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, it comes, doesn't it, at some time. I don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Bernice. But there, there are medications that can help make the quality of life better in the interim as well. Yeah, oh, look, you know, I lift him up on the bed and I lift him down off the bed and I lift him up on the lounge and I lift him down off the lounge. He sounds like he's been a well-loved dog, Bernice. <laughs> Definitely. My husband sleeps in the other room now. I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, priorities. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, thank you, Corbin. Yes, good luck with that. And uh, Deborah's rung from Fingal Bay, and ticks are on your mind, Deborah. Yes, they are. We've just unfortunately lost our beautiful, beloved nine year old. She was only four kilos. And it, it was quite amazing. I had her at the vet um, five days prior to the paralysis stick getting in her whiskers. And no mention, you know, to have their yearly medication done, which isn't cheap, and not to even have a prompting to say, by the way, you know, ticks are really, really bad at the moment through our, our horrendous weather we've been having. Yes. And she since has died. I mean, it's terrible. $19,800 later for three and a half days. Yeah. And people just don't get reminded about it. I've noticed the ads are on the, pa- on the TV now, but I was a month late with the neck guard, so it's my fault. I had it at home and didn't give it to her and... It just was. It was awful. I'm sorry, Deborah. That that is. It it is a terrible situation. And and look. And to be honest, I tell my clients that ticks are here all year round. We we do have a season where we see higher numbers. But we were pulling ticks off dogs in July. We had a tick case in May. So the season's changing. Uh, We all know our weather is our warmer weather is increasing. Um, And so I think the likelihood of a tick season being a very recognisable time frame is gone. I, I sort of keep my clients as vigilant as they can all year round because it can sadly be an all year round condition. The ticks don't go away, they just become less active in the colder weather. So whenever we get warm winters, we're going to get ticks as well. Um, and as you mentioned, pro- prophylaxis is there. So using products like the next card you mentioned, like Brevecto, there's collars, there's spot-ons, there's a lot of different medications we can use to help those guys because tick do kill dogs as as sadly you've had to experience and so it really is important to keep that get that vigilance up particularly in areas where you are deborah fingal bay any of the the nelson bay area with a lot of shrub and bushland area as we know ticks tend to like bushy spots they can even be in long grass they can even be in leaf litter so anyone walking their dogs in in sort of bushy areas the best first thing you must do when you come home is do a really thorough 
thorough tick search. You mentioned around the whiskers, they, they seem to seek out carbon dioxide. So ticks will often move towards the nose when they attach. Um, so around the nose, around the whiskers, around the eyes, around the ears are really common tick attachment spots. If you've got a long-haired dog, I even recommend clipping very short during the summer months so you've got that extra ability to do that that really good vigilance on your dogs because um, a long coat can be very difficult often for us to find a tick in. And that is really a very timely reminder to, well, an almost timely reminder. Thank you very much, Deborah, for bringing that to our attention. Um, ticks are another kind of poison, aren't they? Yeah, and look, we've had two tick cases this week already. So um, This week? Yeah, this week. Both, both long-haired dogs. Um, disappointingly, neither were on prevention. Um, fortunately, both are doing well. We, are, we, are, we have been able to get both of these back to a, a recoverable state. One is still in hospital. The other one has gone home. But it is really important that I can't stress vigilance enough for these guys um, and people often think taking the tick off solves a problem. Um, removal of a tick isn't the cure. The toxin has already been ingested by the animal, injected, sorry, by the animal. Um, and so they're already going to suffer those signs. So removal of a tick is step one, but take your pet and your tick to the vet so that A, they can identify if it is a paralysis tick that the dog will, and cat will need toxin, uh, antitoxin. Um, or if it's just a bush tick, then you're off the hook. But, but yeah, make sure that you take your tick along with your, your, so your pet. So take the tick out first? Absolutely. Yeah, and don't what's, wait. What's What's the best way of doing that? So there are a couple of techniques. One I generally suggest owners do is just use your thumb and forefinger, place it over the tick, and give either a slight counterclockwise or clockwise twist and pull the tick out. You can use tweezers. You can use a tick puller as well. Um, we've discussed online before. There's other things you can do to try and smother the tick. But the, the tick is injecting toxin the longer it stays on your pet. So um, don't wait till you get to the vet to take the tick off. If you can get it off beforehand, please do so. Mm. And, uh, I mean, with people, I suppose it's the same, but the effect isn't necessarily quite Yeah, as bad. I, I, my understanding in the, in the human field is that ticks can make people unwell. Often headaches are very common with, with a tick attachment. But fortunately, they don't tend to see the paralysis that we see in our domestic pets. Mm. Um, native species, for example, are immune to it because the paralysis tick is only um, a native of Australia and it's only a native of the eastern coast, to be honest. We only see it down the eastern seaboard. The local native life have developed an immunity to the toxin, but our domestic pets do not have that. Um, and so, yeah, super vigilant. It's a, it's a terrible situation. We do lose dogs every year to ticks, um, and it is a preventable disease. Uh, ticks aren't protected, are they? Uh, fortunately, no. <laughs> <laughs> So. <laughs> there's, there's enough of them. They're not on the endangered species list. Oh, well, that is definitely something. We've just got a minute or two left, Dr. So, well, let's, let's, having had that, that terribly sad call from Deborah, um, signs to look for for ticks again. So um, one of the earlier signs to look for is wobbling of the back legs. That's particularly in large or middle to large breed dogs. Small dogs, often one of the common signs is vomiting. So don't ignore a vomiting dog in tick season. Do a very thorough tick search for that as well. Cats, the most common thing is the wobbliness in the back legs. They'll also develop respiratory signs very easily. Now, both species will show respiratory signs. That it's, it's often what we call a respiratory grunt. So when they're breathing out, it's a huh, huh. 
And what's actually happening is that the muscles that control the diaphragm and the rib that expands your um, lungs are starting to be paralyzed. So the body is not able to move air correctly. And that's where most dogs sadly succumb is to the, the respiratory disease associated with that. And again, it's better, the earlier the better. I Absolutely. Suppose, as soon as help. you see signs, please yeah. get your dog seen. Mm, so poisons of various kinds. <laughs> yes, yeah, not, not the happiest of topics today. <laughs> yes, but an important one as we approach summer. Thank you very much, Dr. Paul. Pleasure, Jane. Thank you, Danny. And uh, we'll have pet chat again next uh, Next Wednesday. Wednesday after the Midday News on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.